0: Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The next day the crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast and they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, my servant also will be. And my Father will honor the one who serves me. Father, we thank you for your word. And thank you that your word was made flesh and then poured out in your spirit to be empowered to become all that was intended. Pray that that word would live in power this morning and that our hearts would be stirred, encouraged, and filled to overflowing because you promised that our joy would be full. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak truth into our hearts and lives this morning and that we would step into the inheritance that is ours in Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So I told you about the flight to Toronto and the phrase, that will be cool. Because most people uh, would love to know God. They would love to know God. They would love to know the God who touches them. And I want to talk... um, this morning a bit about faith, because we've grown up with a, a teaching and a maybe an experience of saying, we live by faith and faith is believing in what you do not yet see. Um, and that's very noble and has become part of a church tradition that faith is, is just doing the things that you know God wants you to do and living in obedience. Um, and it's actually a lie. Because Jesus didn't do that with his disciples. And what has happened is the New Testament and a lot of Jesus' teaching has got actually rammed back through the tunnel of the Old Testament and become a new law in the Old Testament and a new rule-keeping philosophy in the Old Testament. And so you start now keeping Christian rules. You do exactly the same thing as the Old Testament did except now they're Christian rules in Jesus' teaching. So the purpose of Jesus' life, death and resurrection is negated. We've talked about that. The purpose of Jesus is for what? It's nice to know that it sinks in so deeply. The purpose of Jesus is for what? To reveal God to us. God the Father. To reveal that he is alive. The purpose of Jesus is to say, there's a barrier between us called sin, rebellion and he went to the cross and he said, I have now dealt with that barrier. You really don't need to continue to talk about your sin all the time. Just bring it to me at the cross and dump it there. The purpose of the cross is to take the barrier away, to pay the price for sin, for rebellion, for everything I do apart from God. Okay, God knows it, I know it, let's deal with it. Satan wants to keep us fixated there. So all he does is accuse and lie, that's all he does. So he accuses and lies, you know good, you know good, you know good, you know good, you know God, God doesn't mean it, God doesn't mean it, you know good, and that's all that happens. That's the voice that we're born into with such familiarity, we think it's truth. And so he energizes all the darkness until Jesus comes and says, I have taken all of that, I actually love you. And so the cross is the beginning of the promised land. The cross is actually the beginning of the Christian life, not the end. The cross is the doorway into life, into the promised land. So our whole lives are meant to be about exploring the promised land and stepping into the life of Jesus that he has won for us on the cross, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus really comes to the cross and he says, I have taken your sin, Um, here is the Father, and by the way the Holy Spirit is going to be your tour guide. And he stays at the right hand of the Father praying for us and he says, let the Holy Spirit guide you, fill you, empower you and lead you into all truth, into all life, into all joy, into all victory, into all healing. The person of the Holy Spirit. What most of us have experienced is basically we kind of get stuck around the cross cross somewhere and we start saying that's very religious and beautifully spiritual, but there's no life to it. There's no power to it. There's no transformation. And so church often becomes this big bluff where everybody pretends they're excited but they can't wait to get back to the hockey game. You know what I'm talking about. We've all been there. Maybe we're still there. And so we get these expectations and we have these momentary blips where we, we, oh God, aren't you real? As people have said today. And we get tired and disillusioned and we go, how much more can I take of this? You know, if you're numb, you don't feel the expectancy, so it's sometimes easier to be numb. It's easier to be dead sometimes, except that's also stinks after a while. And we pile on expectations and it doesn't really work. And Jesus came, what did he do? He came, the Old Testament was reading the old testament it was going to the synagogue it was the rabbis and the teachers teaching you uh interceding for you on behalf of god they were like moses going up the mountain you do this stuff you give us your money you give us your sacrifices you keep these rules we'll tell you what to do we'll think for you and you just uh, we'll you know we are god's people and we're in charge of you not a lot of difference from many churches today in the name of jesus we'll do this we'll do that you'll do that you'll do that it's crap Before John the Baptist spoke, there was silence, it seemed, from God for 400 years. I didn't actually do that reading from Malachi to to really focus on the tithes, although the tithes do say, in a sense, God's saying, test me, give me what is precious to you and see what I do. But at the end of that uh, chapter 4... There's this, uh, Surely, the, well, chapter 4, surely the day is coming it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will, will be stubble and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go out and leap like calves released from the storm. And at the end... See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. But the last sentence of the the Old Testament is, I will turn the hearts of the fathers. And Jesus and John the Baptist you know, began to speak about repenting and turning. But Jesus really came to say, I've come to show you the heart of the Father. And there was this total uh, amazement when Jesus began his ministry after his uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. There was this total amazement when Jesus, instead of just coming and saying, fire and brimstone, he comes and says, "Um, what do you want me to do? If you're blind, let me heal you. And they go, but that's God. I mean, I'm blind because something went wrong. And he says, no. You're blind because you've lived in a prison camp and you've got very distorted. The love of the Father says, of course if you're blind, I care. Of course if you're in pain, I care. And so he met people at their point of need with the power of the Spirit. And they turned around and said, who was that? And he said, well, that's God. They didn't meet with a lot of words and studies. They experienced the power of God that built their faith. And I want to contend that I believe one of the things God is wanting to restore in the church is experience of him that builds faith. And bring an end to this lie that there is no experience, there's just believing for what you do not yet see. It's not how Jesus captured the hearts of the disciples. Jesus did not capture the hearts of the disciples by having endless Bible studies with them about the Old Testament and how he was the fulfillment of it. The word became flesh and he said, follow me and I'll show you. And it's even in that reading we read, about uh, they, they, they didn't realize all the things that they had done until later. He gave them intimate experiences of him and life with him and the power of God working through him. And then he said, really, in essence, what I have done you can do. Because the same spirit that lives in me will live in you. But he gave them Relationship. Why are we so afraid of experience? We go to dinner parties, we go to football games, hockey games. Almost everything else we do has emotion in it. And we come into church and it's like we've been cursed. And emotion is frowned upon. You you mustn't feel, you mustn't laugh, you mustn't dance, you mustn't cry. You must just be light and what we're really saying is we're dead and I believe the Lord says I want to heal and release emotion I want to heal and release life because that's who we are we are living, breathing emoting people and we, yes we can also think he's not saying don't think he's just going that's not where your life is So in Acts, uh, and you look, I just wrote down, scribbled down, you look at Moses, you look at David, you look at Elijah, you look at Mary, you look at Peter, you look at Paul, they all had emotional times with the Lord, experiences with God that transformed their lives. So you and I should expect that when we come before God in whatever way or when God is working with us, we're going to have some times where we are afraid because we want to hold on to the things that we think are bringing us life. And God's saying, no way. And then we turn around and say, you made me feel uncomfortable. And you go, it's not somebody else making you feel uncomfortable. It's you. Own it. If you want to see God working, start owning your own responses to things and see how he works. He's speaking to every single one of us. But our willfulness and our pride and our stubbornness says, I want to follow you, but I'll do it on my terms. And he says, no, you won't. Then you get uncomfortable and you get angry with John because he's causing you to feel uncomfortable. And I go, "Uh uh-uh. I've got my own stuff to deal with. You deal with your stuff. If you want life, you have to come to terms with that struggle with the living God. Because he loves and because he is one of truth. So he says, truth will set you free, not BS. i shortened that phrase because it's, you know, it's more polite. <laughs> and we make theologies. I used to make theologies about why I wouldn't dance and why I wouldn't do this and why I wouldn't do that. And it was all to hide my insecurity. It had nothing to do with God, really. So Father, in your name, we want to break curses over us relating to our emotions and our shut-downness and our religious stuff. We just break them in the name of Jesus. We pray the release of life. Remember when uh, in, in Acts, um, a foundation to the growth of the church was the disciples bearing witness to what they had seen and heard. And I don't read anywhere in the scriptures where God took that out and said, well that only was because the disciples, they were little, you know, they weren't very educated fishermen so they needed a bit of help. And after that, no, you can just read Paul's writings and that will be fine. Except Paul had experiences too. So you have, when Judas has betrayed uh, Jesus and they're ending up, and in fact this was probably disobedience, you know that, don't you? When in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 20 21 there is, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time it was probably them preempting the Holy Spirit they knew Judas was you know, Judas was no longer there and they wanted to get somebody to replace Judas and instead of waiting for the Holy Spirit to guide them and lots of teaching would suggest that Paul was actually the 12th one that the Holy Spirit was going to release him but these guys hadn't learnt that yet so God was gracious but they, they, they said well we'd better do it by lot but what, nevertheless, even though they were maybe, may have been wrong, their qualification was this. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these, th- these two you have chosen to, t- uh, no, that's not it. It is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken from us. For, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. What are they saying? First-hand experience is an incredibly important uh, foundation for those who are going to be apostles. First-hand experience, not second-hand experience. And throughout the three years Jesus was with the disciples, they were experiencing the presence of God, the power of God, the, all of that stuff. And I believe with all my heart that God is not wanting us to be a people who have no testimonies and who live by faith in a way which actually is faithless. Because we read the stories and we talk about the stories and in our own lives there's no power or presence. And then we say, well, it's not my personality. I just happen to be somebody who loves to read. And you go, no, that sounds like disobedience to me. Or I just like to feel and I don't like to read. That's also disobedience it's just rooted in relationship that's God's word for us today without question it's an, uh, it's a it's a word of invitation to, to to let him relate with us with the whole of our beings with our minds and our hearts our relationships and all about us and what john uh, what uh, you remember peter and john went up the temple and they got they healed a blind a, a leper you've heard this often and he's, he's, he's in front of the authorities and they're, they're sort of getting all nasty to him. And Peter goes, Lord, this isn't fair. I'm hurting right now. He doesn't say that at all. He says, we cannot help speak about what we've seen and heard. That's so cool. This guy who was so afraid stands up and says, uh, "To I mean, intimidating people. I, I can't do that. I can't deny what I've seen and heard. I heard in in Toronto this last week, you know, Heidi Baker and her ministry. They've got now 10,000 churches all over Mozambique. She went up to Toronto a few years ago. I mean, that's when the Lord really sort of uh, just saturated her. She went there absolutely broken, sick and saying, forget it. I've got a little church. I mean, I've got two churches and 300 orphans and I'm done. And God spent seven days soaking her. And she looked an idiot. On the ground, standing on her head, doing all kinds of prophetic things. And what was going on inside was very different from what looked like somebody stupid. She has a PhD and she looked like an idiot. Paralyzed. She couldn't walk. Later she would say, well, I'm an A-type personality. It was the only way God could actually get to me was to paralyze me. She goes back to Mozambique. And the first thing, that or well, one of the first things that happened... Is her sponsors say, if you have anything to do with Toronto, we're pulling our sponsorship. And she said, I can't I can't deny what I've experienced. She lost a million dollars in sponsorship, ninety five percent. But her testimony is the Lord hasn't failed us at all. We 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 see food multiply, we have ten thousand churches, we see powerful healings. They see healings now all the time. They build churches on the healings and the power of God's Spirit present when they do it. But you know what? She prayed for a hundred people to be healed of blindness before she saw one healed. And what I'm saying is there's a perseverance required. There's an obedience required. But God will come through. And we, you know, many of us here have persevered. But there is also a time where God says, I'm coming through. Don't miss it when I come through. Because I stood on the shores of Capernaum, uh, of Galilee. And you stand on the shores of Galilee and and, and Chorazin and uh, Capernaum are there and Jesus cursed them. He said, you didn't recognize the time of the Lord's coming and you you minimized what I did among you and you will be cursed. It will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah. And you go there today and there is nothing but ruins in a place that should be huge. It's beautiful. Tiberias, the holiday village, is is thriving. Ten miles away. But Chorazin, Besida, I think it is, I can never remember that third name. And... And uh, Capernaum are just tourist attractions for the ruins of where Jesus walked. Faith is built up by experiencing God's presence and his power. Remember he says, apart from me you can do nothing. I've come to give you fullness of joy. He says, uh, if you ask for bread I won't give you a stone. Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. so I was saying Lord what do you want to say to the church earlier this, in the week I was in Toronto saying Lord what what are we talking about and it went to John 12 and it went to all, uh, all that kept coming up was unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies and what that means I believe is God saying you know Just be okay to die. Let go of agendas. Let go of expectations. Let go of what you think I should or shouldn't do. Just die. And I will raise you up. And there will be multiple seats. If you let me do what I can do. You just need to die. What does that look like? What he's really saying, you you have two choices. You can strive or you can abide. But your striving will bring you to the place where you will either want to commit suicide or you will voluntarily die and say, oh God, this isn't working. Or you can allow my power and my presence to bring the life that you can't. And you can learn how to live that as a lifestyle. Peter did that. We know the story, and I'm going to sort of wind into something else in a minute. But Peter and the disciples wrestled with Jesus all their lives as they followed him. Until they came to the cross, and they said, We will, we will stand with you. We will. You know the story. And they go to Gethsemane, and they fall asleep, and they deny him. And Peter runs into the darkness. And he's weeping. And they eventually go down to Galilee. And they fish in Galilee. And when it all fell apart for me, I fished in Galilee for seven years. I don't know if you've ever been there. You don't want to go there. It's the most despairing place in the world. All your hopes are crushed. And yes, you've got some responsibility, but some of it isn't yours. And you don't understand And you're back at square one, fishing, and you're catching nothing. And you go, God, now what? Some of us don't have the courage, so we just stay lukewarm all our lives. We play it safe on every level. God's speaking to some of you about that. You never go to Galilee, but you never deny Him, but you never follow Him either. You just keep your options open. It's called lukewarm in the kingdom of God. It's a serious mis- dysfunction. God wants you to, to meet him on that one. If that's you, you'll, you'll know it. You just confess it to him. We're not pulling any punches this morning. This is real important stuff. His invitation is come. And so Peter wrestled, and the disciples wrestled. They end up in Galilee, and they end up in this place of I have nothing left. That's dying. It's merely going, everything I said I could do, I cannot do. Jesus, you are too hard an act for me to follow. I can't do it. And now I'm exposed that I'm chicken and I don't have the resolve and I can't persevere and it's really embarrassing. And the good news is Jesus comes right there to them at that place of death and says, what do you want for breakfast? And then he just says, really simply, do you love me? He doesn't take them through all the stuff they've been through. He just says, do you love me? And they cry and they say, oh God, Jesus, you know that I love you. Then he says, feed my sheep, give it away. And those broken men are transformed on the shore of Galilee because they've died. And Jesus comes to say, let me lift you up. I am risen up, I am resurrected, and I'll I'll raise you up too. And their lives are transformed. The same men who were so all over the place spent the next 30 or 40 years turning the world upside down. There's no reason why that can't happen with us. Give away what you have and see the growth that takes place but do it out of a place of death. Which means, Lord, unless your power is present we can't do anything. The reason we don't do lots of stuff is because we don't know how to live with death, so we keep on going, oh, I don't know how to do that, I can't do that. And instead of saying, well, that's an incomplete sentence, we stop there. Because the end of the sentence is, but I know one who can. So he says, well, then get out of the boat and walk on water and let's see what I can do with you. Oh, but I'm nervous. He said, Well, that's normal. So he appeared to them where they were, and he said, come with me. And then he said, be filled with my spirit. Be empowered with the power you don't naturally have. And go and turn the world upside down. And the whole theme is one of eyewitnesses. What they experience, they bear witness to, they give away. Paul eventually writes it all out in the way of saying, this is what's happening. But he never says, my writing replaces the experience. He just says, my writing explains what happens. And the key that God is speaking to us about is, I'll restore to you experiences of me that will roll over into all ages and bring people who are hungry and thirsty and dead to life as you give away what I have poured into you. It is easier and better to work out of the presence and power and passion of God than out of the principles. So last week in Toronto, towards the beginning of the week, well, I guess it was about Tuesday, and, you know, I said, Lord, I'm really I'm here and I'm gonna press into everything. I'll go up for prayer, I'll go and get prophetic words. I, you know, I'm not spectating, so I did. I mean, there was a woman who did a prophetic workshop or teaching workshop with her husband for three days that I attended and I caught her in the hall and said, you did some last night and I wasn't there, I, you know, i like one. She said, well, maybe. And anyway, I got five minutes of very encouraging stuff. And you know what one thing she said? Right at the beginning, I never talked to her before. I won't take up the time there, but she said, I see a bow and arrow and said, it feels like the last two or three years, she didn't, have been, everything's going backwards, everything's going the wrong way. I go, yeah. Like nothing's happening. All your expectations, is not working. And she says, it's like an arrow being drawn back. And the Lord's about to release what he's been preparing for. And I share that with you, but I also share it with you as saying, you know, them is us. Any prophetic word is not fulfilled unless it's obeyed. I can't build this church. I can't force anybody to respond to Jesus. I can't force people to say, come to soaking prayer because we need it. I can't force people to gather around. I can't force people to, to say no to some things so they can say yes to other things. Only God can. And all I'm saying and bearing witness to is he's saying Yes. So, anyway, I've got this illustration here. As I was, uh, you know, thinking about, the, are you guys getting cold yet? The temperature's dropping a little. Just cuddle up next to each other. Uh, Cheryl's got a blanket and she's all on her own. I don't understand that. Um, just cuddle, please, Brad and Julia. That's thank you. Yeah, they've been away for two days, so they're getting all sort of. Anyway. <laughs> So I said, Lord, you know, what do I go back with? What do I go back with? And um, He showed me this picture, and it's I, I, uh, this picture is a personal one. So I, I, when you hear it, I just want to say I, I'm sharing this as a symbol of something, but I also am sharing it with I, uh, some respect for my family. But um, let me introduce you to my grandfather. My grandfather was a uh, was an Anglican. Priest. He grew up in Wales. Uh, he was adopted as a son, and uh, he went to South Africa as a missionary in the 1930s or 40s. Um, he worked in Swaziland, where actually I ended up working for a year, and then he worked in Antal, which is uh, on the coast of South Africa. And my father uh, and his sister Mary were born to my grandfather and his wife Mary. And the depth of my relationship with my grandfather is such that I don't even remember his name. I, I, I was going to look it up. I think it's Frederick, but I'm not sure. But that tells you something. Um, so I look at that, and I see. My, I have one. Mem- he lived 1,000, 2,000 miles away, and I have one memory of, uh, of my grandfather visiting Cape Town and sitting on a couch with one of those, you know, those um, cream sort of jackets. Uh, Brad would sort of like that kind of thing. A cream jacket. And then wearing a big a big dog collar. And, uh, and he gave me half a crown, which was sort of 25 cents in the 60s. 50s, that would be the 50s probably. I have no idea who this man is. This was a bust that was done. His, his wife Mary died and he, he married later in life to a woman who was a sculptress and she did this. And um, I always liked it. But it's, it's a picture of probably how he saw himself, very dignified. Uh, very, you know, British missionary, I suppose. Um, so, uh, in terms of knowing him or, or being able to share anything about him, that's about it. I have a bust of him. Uh, and that's all I have of my grandfather. Um, this... this is my father he left diaries that he wrote in throughout his life these diaries go through all the time that I was a child and into adulthood Um, I have very little memory of relationship with my father I have a lot of words and books about what he thought how he felt how he saw me, but how he couldn't relate to me. This guy sent his his son off to boarding school, private school, very good schools. Um, and in, in one diary, my father says, I didn't know my father very well. And my father in his diary says, I can't work out what John's about. I read something to Cheryl yesterday, actually, he describes, and I was going to read something to you, and I thought, you know, I want to honor my, my father, because he would have been mortified if I had read anything he wrote in public. But he wrote a description of my mother's death, and he goes in to tell my sister when she died, and he just says, "Your mother's died," and then he walks out, and he tells us, and he takes us to the beach. His, his ability to actually go maybe they need to be embraced, maybe they need to be hugged, maybe they need is just not there. And it's a, you know, there's a measure of my own healing, I believe now, because I've gone through this a lot, but I'm not in tears right now, because I really do believe the Lord has healed a lot of this stuff at a deep level, praise God. But, um, these are words written down, this is an image. And I believe God is, wanting. so he said, you know, you remember your bust of your grandfather and all the, all the books you've got from your father and he says, the thing's missing. There's no relationship there. And he says, I don't want to be like that to you or to anybody here. I don't want to be an image of something distant in the past that is a stoic how you see yourself because if the Lord was to do something it wouldn't be this. He would say, lighten up, oh man. And he would heal him and he'd probably be dancing something. But this was his security and he doesn't want to be this, where he says, I just want you to talk about what you've read about me. So I go, and it felt incomplete. So I'm sitting there, and then I notice that the conference goes on till Saturday, and Saturday I was coming home in the morning, and Cheryl said, well, I think maybe you should stay, and I eventually made changes and stayed, and on Saturday morning, uh, this woman, Carol, is talking about Embracing a blessing, which is a is, is a very cool word for us, and you can come on Tuesday to hear that. But while she's doing that, somebody is up front painting a picture, and as soon as I see the picture, the Lord says, "Buy that and take it home, because it's a prophetic word to the church." So the girl's just half finished the picture and I go up to her so I I, I go okay I've got to make a decision I know it's going to be expensive and I, I I watch her until she comes off and then I track her down and I say what happens with the picture and she says well people buy them if they want and how much do they cost and she told me so I went oh okay I'll try and get the money together because I know God is saying I should take this picture home to a church um and I, I, I managed to access various sources and, and, and got the money and, and I gave it to her before she was finished and said, oh, it's not even finished. I said, well, that's faith, isn't it? Um, I said, I'm, you know, I'll give you this and I'll send you a check on Monday. And she said, that's fine. She said, five other people have come to get it. So it's never happened to me before. Um, part of the symbolism of that is as soon as I sense God's prompting, I acted. One of the things God's saying to you and me today is, it's now. There's no more going home praying, it's now. This is the picture, the great unveiling. It's to stand in front of us for all our meetings. Um, There are actually scriptures over here. It's a very simple picture, but it's a picture of the heart of God to this group right now. I asked her, I said, um, her name's Heather Synod. Her father is actually the worship leader at uh, Toronto and has been there from the beginning. So she's grown up and there's this whole generation of kids that have grown up seeing God working all the time. They don't, they don't know what it's like to be in a place where God doesn't heal. Where God isn't worshipped. So as we were worshipping, she was painting this thing. And the empty hands, big hands, positioned under the Holy Spirit. And I said, so Heather, um, she's also pregnant. I said, that's probably prophetic as well. And then I sent her my check. I looked at these... Um, on Monday I looked at these all these they they taken out of some Bible reading thing and they all dated February and I said to her when you're expecting your challenge she said February so when I wrote on my note I said did you realize that everything you put on that picture was February and she said no but that's cool it seems that God may be saying to me everything will be alright so I said Heather can you give me a prophetic word to take back to the church as well so she said it's a two-sided message in this picture that she got anyway um, she calls calls God Papa and the first section is um, our cry to God and then his response to us Papa I raise my hands up in offering this is all I have to give I raise in surrender I'm handing over all of me in complete abandonment it is all I have to give These hands are yours. Teach them to serve you as you please, and I'll wait, desperate to see your wondrous love, your unfailing love for me. I'll never be the same because I I know you're alive. You came to heal my broken heart. You're glorified, your holiness. Show us your glory. Fire, fall down. Fire, fall down on us, we pray the response and all the brokenness and all the happiness. I am here, waiting to pour over you, to overflow. Receive. Receive all that I have for you, the blessing. All you have to give is more than enough. I am so proud of you. I am overflowing. Be filled with my love. I want to show you my glory. Receive, rest, and I will restore Fire fall down, it's coming like the rain. Love, Papa. Do we need any more explanation? Listen to your heart, what God is saying, as he says yes to you. I'm going to have to wing it, I'm going to have to sing in faith. Before I went to Toronto, I wrote a song. I haven't written for quite a while you're going to have to put the words up when I'm ready, please, because I, I left the words behind and I might not know them all. Um, I wrote a song that was, came out as... I got this, this phrase. Um, I got this phrase which ended up being a kind of expectancy. It started with the wind is blowing on the water. So when I heard and I was sort of trying to sing it and sort of finish the thank you before, before I went to Toronto and then I got Heather's, you know, this stuff and I thought, whoa, that's cool. So I don't have the words except up there but I'll just see where we go. What's going to happen here um, is that you know, you're welcome to join in as you. Uh, oh, here it is. You're welcome to join in as you maybe get hold of it. There's a response in here. I don't know if you want to sing. You're welcome to as well. And then, out of the song, I'm going to sing it. I want to sing another song. And then we're going to pr- uh, take communion, and I'm going to probably suggest that maybe if you want to, uh, I want to pray for for anyone who wants to after communion for the filling of the Holy Spirit and refreshing of the Holy Spirit. Um, the second song I'm just going to lead into and, and and the Lord can lead you however you like you can dance you can sing you can do whatever it was written it's a song about dance and it was written by a guy who looks like a linebacker I met him in Toronto and you've probably heard it before his name's is Chris Dupree. and he wrote this song about dancing where he was he was uh, singing David Roos' song uh, you know we will dance on the streets that are golden which is what we're going to finish with today and and he was um, singing it in his living room. His daughter, who was 12 at the time, came in, and then she left. And he sort of said, wait a minute, my voice isn't that bad. And she came back in about three minutes, all dressed up in her dancing gear, and she danced for him. Of course, he lost it while he was telling us, and he just said, you know, that's what the heart, the heart of the, she's, the... I know God wants every billions of people to dance in the streets that are golden. But for that moment, my daughter dancing before me was what caught, caught my heart. And God is the God of billions, but he's also the God of every individual. And he said, I can't describe to you what rose up in me as my daughter danced and I sang. Other than that is the response the the living God wants from each of us. A response where we give him our emotions and our hearts and just say, fill me. So the first one is. Um, I'm just going to get this all in order here. That's, is this exciting to you? I, I mean, I feel excited. I think it's exciting. I think that picture is amazing.
1: Um, the winds on the water, it's blowing through the trees. Rain's falling down the river's running strong, the tides rising higher the earth shaking ground. Listen for the sound it's a hurricane. Winds on the water, it's blowing through the trees. The rain's falling down, the river's flowing strong. The tide's rising higher, the earth's shaking ground. Listen for the sound, it's a hurricane, the spirit of the Lord's on the moon, all over, all over the earth. All over, all over the earth. So we lift up our voices, raise empty hands, open our hearts and cry, Yes, Lord, Jesus, come. So we lift up our voices, raise empty hands. We open our hearts and cry, yes, Lord, Jesus, come. Blow through us. Let your rain fall down. Blow through us. Let your rain fall down. The wind's on the water. It's blowing through the trees. I think you should stand by now. The rain's falling down. The river's running strong. The tide's rising higher the earth-shaking ground. Listen for the sound. It's a hurricane. The Spirit of the Lord's on the moon all over, all over the earth. As we lift up our voices, raise empty hands, we open our hearts and cry, yes, Lord, Jesus come. So we lift up our voices, raise empty hands, we open our hearts and cry, yes, Lord, Jesus come. Blow through us, let your rain fall down. Blow through us, let your rain fall down. Blow through us, let your rain fall down.
0: heart of the Father. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dance with me, O lover of my soul. song of all songs Romance me O lover of my soul To the song of all songs God's asking you, the Father's asking you to dance with him Dance with me, oh lover of my soul. To the song of all songs, he can say you can stand on his feet and he'll teach you how to dance. Romance me, oh lover of soul to the song of all songs Behold you have come over the hills upon the mountains to me you have run My beloved, you've captured my heart. Won't you dance with me, O lover of my soul? To the song of all songs, romance me, O lover of my soul, to the song of all songs. With you I will go, for you are my love, you are my fair one. The winter is past. And the spring time has come. Hear that? With you I will go, for you are my love, you are my fair one. The winter is past, and the spring time has come. With me, O oh lover of my soul, to the song of all songs, romance me, O oh lover of my soul song of all songs. Dance with me, O lover of my soul. To the song of all songs. Romance me, O lover of my soul to the song of all songs With you I will go for you are my love you are my fair one With you I will go for you are my love you are my fair one You, I will go. You are my love. You are my fair one. The winter
0: is past, and the springtime has come. Lord, singing that to you.
1: will go, for you are my love, you are my fair one.
0: The winter is past, and the springtime
1: has come. Won't you dance with me, O oh lover of my soul? the song of all songs. Romance me, O oh lover of my soul. To the song of all songs.
0: receive the the embrace of the Lord receive his desire to dance John the Baptist came with brimstone Jesus came with a song and a dance the cross was just the way to get to the dance floor Just had to go through the cross to get cleaned up and then it was let's dance and then many of us, maybe most of us here it's been a long, long time And we make all excuses and the Lord just says just shut up, die. I'm asking you to dance. I'm asking you to come onto the dance floor with me and let me love you as a father. I don't want to be an image. I don't want to be in a book. I want you to be in my arms. And my arms are open. They always have been. And I pour out my spirit over you right now if you want it. Holy Spirit, I pray for your release over each one of us. Fill us up. Fill us up. With your presence, with your power, with your passion, with the love in your heart for us.